0: turn to the book of Haggai. Haggai is the third to last prophecy in the Old Testament. Haggai chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is God's holy word to the prophet Haggai about the glory to come, a latter glory which we know is fulfilled through Jesus Christ our Lord Haggai chapter 2, starting at verse 1. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Help us, we pray, O Father, that we would see your glory, that we would see your love, that we would see your mercy, we would see your grace, that we would see that one and only source of true peace through Jesus our Lord, who is the ultimate fulfillment of this beautiful passage of Holy Scripture. We pray that you would help us in this, for we ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. When I came to worship this morning, and oftentimes when I come to worship this morning, probably the the first word on my mind or my heart is not glory. But really, after examining this text, I think it should be something that each of us should think about, that when we come to worship God through Christ our Lord in this somewhat of a meager place of worship, there is glory here, not because of the building, but because of who we worship, and because of the wonders of this beautiful, glorious gospel. Let's not forget, I know it's easy to sometimes forget why we worship. Some of us might say, well, we worship because God commands it. We are to keep one day and seven holy as a Sabbath to our Lord, a day of rest and worship. As the fourth commandment says, that we um, or the interpretation of uh, the fourth commandment according to the uh, catechism is that we are to rest from our worldly labors and we're to give the whole day to God in both public and private worship. That's what it talks about in, the, in our standards. And I think that's a faithful interpretation of Scripture. But John 4 Jesus talks about him seeking out those who would worship him in spirit and in truth, and that the Father seeks such people, such saints to come and to worship before him. We should remember that that is why God has called us to be holy, to be saints, to worship him. Again, because he commands it, but the reason why. From today's text, that we should come and seek God in worship is because His glory is here, His grace is here, and His holy word for us, and His only means of salvation is found in the worship in His church. Do you think of God's glory residing in this place? I think after today's text, I hope that is something that you will come to witness more and more. Um, I know this is not this is not uh, the message, but I want us to turn to a particular passage in Scripture. Keep your place, please, in Haggai, because we will turn back there back shortly. But look at Ephesians three. This is such a blessed place of Scripture for a benediction. Ephesians 3, starting at verse 20. This is a benediction of glory. And as we study today's text, and as we look at um, Haggai, keep this in mind, Ephesians 3, 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory of in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Have this glorious passage in your mind as you look at Haggai. The book of Haggai um, is one about God's glory given in context. God's glory given in context of a second temple that was going to be built Because the first temple, though glorious, was torn down. You remember when that first temple was built and it was dedicated, it was so glorious that the priests could not even enter because of the glory of the Lord that was consuming the temple. But then what happened later? Years later, because of the sin and wickedness of the people, God tore down that temple stone by stone in judgment for idolatry and sin and wickedness of the people of Israel and of Judah." Um, So after a period of uh, 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar had sieged uh, Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem and burned many of the buildings down and tore down the walls and destroyed the temple, and after many of the people were in captivity for a period of 70 years, um, Babylon was then overtaken by the Medes and Persians. And then the amazing thing happened is that while the Persians were in rule, God worked in the heart of a king, King Cyrus king of Persia um, and he placed it upon his heart to send people back to rebuild the temple because he was God placed it on his heart that it was important for this temple to be rebuilt and then God sent back people of um, did both of Israel and Judah to go back and to rebuild this temple. Uh, they started the work on this temple. They laid a foundation and after they laid the foundation they couldn't keep up the work because there were some Gentiles who oppressed them and who uh, caused them to stop the work. But then after four years of laying this foundation another 14 years passed and they still never picked up the work again. Now, I can't imagine that they were being threatened for a matter of 14 years and why they never picked it up again. But um, if we look back at chapter 1 of uh, Haggai, it uh, talks about there being misplaced priorities. Um, some were placing uh, paneling in their houses. They were decking out their houses in a beautiful array, but they didn't want to use the money or resources to rebuild the temple. The fact that they had workmen... To beautify the houses mean that they had it meant that they had workmen who were skilled and able to rebuild the temple as well. But they put that off. So again, you know, they might have argued, well, we're not gonna rebuild it because there's gentile oppression in the area. There's pagan oppression in the area, and if we, we try again, they're gonna oppress us again and they're gonna stop. No. The reason according to this prophecy was because they had misplaced priorities. And God, caused, God told them, and I love this, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, Consider your ways. That's not a bad thing to do. We should all do that. Consider our ways. And they had to consider their ways and their misplaced priorities and get back to what was really important. And that's a good message for us as well. Um, as we look at today's text, we're given a teaching concerning the matter of glory To be found in this second temple. And God wants us, the key focus of today's text is that God wants us to embrace the latter glory revealed in Christ. We'll have this uh, message divided up in two main points. The former glory and then the latter glory, which we know is, uh, or you could say the future glory, which is fulfilled in Christ. Let's look at this former glory. Verse 1. On the 21st of the 7th month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory. And how do you see it now? Does it seem to you like nothing in comparison? So, we can guess that some of the people there who had seen that first temple had to be pretty old because they were in captivity for 70 years and that temple was destroyed. So we can guess that maybe the only ones who could still see this one had to be probably over 80 or more years old and, and maybe they only saw it when they were just little, little tykes like Isaiah's age, but they still remembered the glory, the former glory. Of this grand temple and I remind you I think it's doubtful that has ever been a building in the history of mankind ever created with so much gold never both interior and exterior never was there a building that had so much gold as that prior first temple it had an outward beauty and glory even the design of the architecture of the capitals that would be on top of the pillars, uh, the the furniture used, the bronze sea, the altar, uh, everything was directed by God, giving special revelation on how it should be done, and it was amazingly beautiful. And then, when they had this later temple, this particular temple, the answer was. Didn't compare at all. <coughs> Wouldn't you have loved to see that first temple? Wow! So the opening—we're uh, not going to turn there um, again. But uh, second, in Second Chronicles seven, that's the place where that glory—the first glory—filled the temple. In Second Chronicles seven, when they dedicated the temple, and it mentions. Um, fire coming down, consuming the burnt offering. They didn't have to light it with a match. Fire came down from heaven and lit the offering. And the glory that filled the temple did not even allow the priest to enter in. Supernatural, holy presence of God in that place that that could not be stood by some. And that glory rested upon that house. But again, God removed his glory when they persisted in their idolatry and unbelief. And then God caused King Nebuchadnezzar to besiege it and penetrate the wall, killed many with the sword, took most of their youth and most of their skilled laborers and brought them back to Babylon. The temple was utterly destroyed. All of its gold and bronze and wealth was taken away And God removed it. And he promised to do that. He promised to do that to them if they fell into idolatry. He sent prophet after prophet to warn them. They didn't turn from their sin, but they continued on. They killed many of those prophets. And uh, I heard, I can't remember where I read this, but upon the tops of the buildings of the homes of Jerusalem where they burnt their 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 burnt offerings to the gods of uh, pagan, uh, pagan gods, the gods of the stars, or the whatever, upon these same buildings, ba- uh, the king of Babylon and his forces rained down fire and burnt down those same buildings and destroyed them. So again, 14 years later, uh, according to Ezra 3, uh, according to Ezra 3, when they gathered together and they laid the foundation, those young people who were present, who saw the first temple, and they saw the measly foundation for this new one, <laughs> it was a mixture. Those who had seen it before, they wept. But those who rejoiced over this second temple, they, they shouted with joy. So there was a mixture of joyous revelry and crying at the same time. <laughs> Some were rejoicing over this new foundation of a, of a new second temple, but many were weeping because they knew the former glory. Despite this meager appearance, in verse 4 it says, But now take courage, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land take courage, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. For as for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. So despite this former glory, even with this former glory in mind, God promised them that his Holy Spirit would be with them, that he would abide with them during the rebuilding process. Keep in mind, the Holy Spirit existed before Pentecost. And he he worked in kings. He anointed kings and enabled kings to their holy offices. He anointed prophets and priests as well in the Old Testament. But here, God's Holy Spirit was going to work in these people as they were going to rebuild God encouraged them to be strong and to be confident, to have faith that the Lord of hosts, which is also could be also translated the Lord of armies, the Lord of the armies of heaven was going to be with them. And if you can think of it, his presence was never going to leave them. That's exactly what Jesus promised to us in John 10. He says, I shall never leave you nor forsake you. No one shall take you out of the palm of my hands for I you shall be. I am with you and you shall never perish. It says in that second half of verse 5, My spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. I want us to turn to a passage uh, regarding it. It talks about the labor that they're going to do. They're going to rebuild this temple and the Holy Spirit's going to be with them. But What's really, I think, a fascinating thing in the Old Testament is that the Holy Spirit was going to enable them to work. And I want us to look at something in Exodus 31. Keep your place in Haggai, but look at Exodus 31. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... See, I have uh, called by name Basilel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, in bronze, and in cutting of stones for settings and in carving of wood, that he may work all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat upon it, and all the furniture of the tent." So this passage is talking about the building of the tabernacle. Have you ever thought of the Holy Spirit? You think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, but a fruit of the Spirit being craftsmanship. Well, that's what it's talking about in this passage. His Holy Spirit was going to help them even in the, the physical labor even in the, the, even in the design of the supports, and in, uh, exactly what would be needed to rebuild this temple. When God has given you a particular skill, maybe to work with your hands, maybe to, to create something, you're doing that as one who imitates the divine creator. When we create things and we build things and we make things, we do that as an imitation of God in heaven. Because he is the first creator. And that's why we can create and make stuff. Because the, we're imitating. We're made in the image of God. And we, we're creative because we have a creator God. And we're made in his image. And that Holy Spirit was going to help them. I could say not just help them with knowing what to do in that building of this uh, second temple. But that he was going to encourage them. He was going to keep them from getting into despair. He was going to keep them from falling away from that work. And he was going to make them persistent. Another thing is to persevere in a, in a labor is a work of the Holy Spirit as well. And we know that in the New Testament, we are promised that we will be given this same spirit, the spirit of adoption that will always be with us, that will never leave us, that we can say by that same Holy Spirit that we are truly sons of God, And we can cry out, Abba, Father, unto our Lord, according to Romans 9. So although this temple, the second temple, was really nothing in comparison to the first, he talks about future glory in the second main point. Look at verses uh, 6 and 7. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land, I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now, if you have a New King James translation, verse 7 is translated like this. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire, capital D, the desire of all nations. That's an, they, they take this as uh, being interpreted as a, a messianic passage that when they bring in riches to, into this temple, the, the desire of all nations would be Jesus Christ. I think if we follow along what's in the following verses, I think that that is a, a fair interpretation, a fair translation. The word here, wealth, in the Hebrew could also be translated treasure, desirable things, the desire of all nations, it could be a way to translate the Hebrew here. But rest assured, whatever the interpretation, whether it's the New American Standard or the the New King James, we are absolutely certain that this passage is fulfilled in the glory of Christ. And we'll see that further as we look. The second temple here is telling about a future glory namely through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. He talks about filling this house, this second temple, temple with glory. In verse 8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. This latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And we know for certain that he's not talking about the physical. He's not talking about the physical because they did not have the, the the design to be able to make this a more grand physical building than the first. Now there's some historians that talk about under King Herod that he later renovated and expanded this temple, even made it larger than the first. Some of it was uh, the, I guess it was a, maybe the Romans helped it helped out with this process because they felt that if they could satiate the, 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 uh, the Jewish people with a grand, beautiful temple, that they could still it'd be a little bit easier to kind of keep them un, under the thumb. However, we know that it did not compare in the glory to the first. It had to be through Jesus Christ that this this glory came in. Again, the, the wealth of nations or the desire of nations, Jesus Christ was the one here. But he promised to give them peace in this house. Of course, Jesus comes on the scene and he's foretold to be the Prince of Peace. The only one who could give peace between man and God, Jesus Christ. So the worldly-minded Jews, maybe of Christ's day or Herod's day, they might have thought that the wealth of nations applied to the beautiful building and the, the beauty of wealth. But really, they were under oppression, weren't they? The glory came when Jesus came into that temple and he taught in that temple. The Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, taught in their midst. The the one who they rejected, Jesus Christ, was put to death, died on the cross for our sins, was raised from the dead on the third day, exalted and ascended into heaven, after 40 days of ministry on the earth, and is now making intercession for us. Because of this Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the glory promised here, that is why we have an absolute assurance that God hears our prayers. That is why we have an absolute assurance that we don't have to question whether or not we have eternal life, because we know that it is Jesus Christ who fully accomplished salvation for us. He perfectly paid for all our sins and He perfectly fulfilled the law for all those who put their faith in Him. And you have an absolute, sure, steadfast salvation and future of glory and peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, again, those who saw Jesus, He didn't look like much, right? The son of a, of a carpenter, of a rather poor family, but that was in fulfillment of Holy Scripture too, that he would would not be someone who looked the part of the Messiah, according to Isaiah, but the veil is pulled back, and according to the Holy Spirit given to Paul, the veil is pulled back, like on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he shines like the glory of the sun, and Paul says this in uh, Colossians 2, in him that is in Christ dwells the fullness of deity bodily. The glory of God dwelt in Jesus Christ and the only reason people didn't see it was because it was veiled. He, wasn't, he didn't take on flesh that made him lesser than the Father. The flesh hid the glory. But again, there are times where the glory shines out like on that Mount of Transfiguration and Paul Revealing to us by the Holy Spirit His awesome glory. Notice also another supporting statement that this is talking about something more than a glorious physical building. He says that He was going to shake the heavens and the earth. I want to turn to Matthew 27. This has to be the clincher. Matthew 27 In the death of Christ, there is the shaking of heaven and earth. Matthew 27, starting in verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And notice this, and the earth shook And the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, This was the Son of God. He promised that he was going to be shaking the heavens and the earth, and he did. Even over 2,000 years after the coming of Christ, he's still shaking the heavens and the earth. And all those who do not submit and believe and trust in this Jesus, even the rulers of this world, he will break them with a rod of iron. Now, some people have a wrong interpretation of Jesus. They say, oh, Jesus meek and mild, the humble Savior. And sometimes, I hate to say this, but in, in Roman Catholic pictures of uh, of Jesus, it, it's kind of like an effeminate Jesus sometimes, isn't it? But here's a place where I want us to look. Let's look at Revelation 19. When you think of someone saying, oh, Jesus meek and mild, he... He did promise that he was going to be gentle, that a bruised reed he was not going to break, and a, a faintly smoking wick he was not going to extinguish. But still, we have to keep that in, in mind of what's written here of the glorified Christ in, in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Did, I don't know if I said Romans, but it's Revelation 11, uh, Revelation nineteen, eleven. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, or crowns. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself, he is clothed, with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a glorious Jesus Christ, an awesome Jesus Christ. As we've looked at today's text, God wants us to think of our holy faith when we come into worship before Him that we enter into a place of glory. Not that this is a glorious place in and of itself, but we have a glorious, holy gospel given to us. We see that there was a former glory, that even as magnificent it was in the riches, the greatest riches that this world has ever known, it paled in comparison to the glory revealed in Jesus Christ. We see that future promised glory fulfilled in the person of Christ, that in that second temple the Prince of Peace entered and taught and ministered. And even though that glory was veiled, as we studied just then in Revelation 19, 11 and following, that glory of who Jesus was in all his might and glory was shown just like upon that Mount of Transfiguration. Have you received this Savior, this glorious Savior? Have you put your trust in Him? Have you confessed your sin that you are not worthy except to be basically cast into hell? Apart from Christ, we are not worthy or deserving of anything. But the beauty and glory of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the same glorious Jesus Christ suffered and died for sinners such as you, if you put your faith in Him, you shall not be put to shame and you shall see our triune God in glory. Because we know that He has offered a perfect, full, and complete salvation that only Jesus Christ could give. Let us pray. We ask our beloved Lord... That you would help us to receive and experience the glory that you have revealed in your Son in a very personal and intimate way. We pray, Father, that you would unite our hearts by faith to trust in Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. That we would not only see this place, this church, as a place of glory, as you have promised and even mentioned there in, in the New Testament especially in Ephesians. Lord, O God, that we pray that you would help us to have the hope of glory that we are headed to a place of awesome worship, of awesome privilege, and that you will recreate the heavens and the earth and that you will make them glorious again. That we shall see paradise again upon this earth and that we shall see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven with even Jesus Christ as the light and glory of that new temple, of that new, holy, blessed Jerusalem. O God, we pray that you would help us to embrace this Christ, would help us to turn away from sin and unbelief, and to receive these wonderful truths, and to rejoice in the amazing grace and glory that you've given us through Christ our Lord. For we ask these things all in his name and through his perfect blood. Amen. We'll prepare to stand and sing our hymn of dedication, 403. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Let's stand and sing 403.